thing that we've done since the pandemic. Obviously, we've got our trivia, which is a great part. It's a two-pronged trivia. Uh, We're going to talk a little bit about politics, what issues motivate us to vote. Uh, We've got, as always, the feel-good story of the week, calling your shot and then closing with uh, the devotional Fix Your Eyes. So, turn it over to Jeremy to get us kicked off. Thank you, Matt. I just did some uh, quick thinking here about what uh, what we have done during COVID with our families uh, since this pandemic hit, and I actually I actually threw this to my wife and asked her the question because I, I came up with three or four things. And I thought, you know, the, the, the best thing kind of seems like it would be some fanfare and some flavor and some, you know, excitement around it. And what came out of that conversation was actually quite interesting because like all of you, COVID hits, we all kind of bunker down. And we're, we're kind of, you know, forced back into just our, our nucleus of our own families and just maybe a little bit outside of that. It was interesting that when we were allowed to go back to church, Ben, I've heard you say that a couple of times, our family went back to church and it was so refreshing. And just having those little things restored back to our, our normalcy a little bit, whether it's a, you know, sports of any kind, uh, whether it's church, whether it's even a family gathering or anything like that. So what I realized was, man, some of the biggest things in our life that have happened is that we've been reintroduced to those normal things that we take for granted. But when we got to do them again, they meant so much to us. And so for our family, it was just joining back with uh, the extended family, joining back with people at church, joining back in in small segments of sports that have been kind of allowed to step back into into, uh, uh, normalcy a little bit. And uh, so we've been excited just to get back to those things. And we have learned how not to take those for granted. And so that's, that's one of the biggest things. How about how about you guys? Anybody uh, uh, think along those lines or have something completely uh, new or different that you're thinking? Jeremy, for me, it's a lot of what you just mentioned. I think the things that we've always been able to go and do whenever we want to, at least for a good two months or so, we weren't allowed to do them, a lot of them here in Minnesota. So once we were able to get back into a little bit of sports or going to see the grandparents or some of those kind of things became a little more acceptable to do, uh, we really relished those moments. I know this summer, uh, my oldest son, it was his first opportunity to play a traveling sport. So he played a little bit of traveling baseball that was allowed for a short month long season. And so it was fun to see him try out his skills kind of at the next level playing traveling baseball. And, and really, we enjoyed doing that as a family, everyone at least, uh, but the younger brother who thought. 
thought it was kind of boring going to all those baseball games. But yeah, it, it was a it was a fun you know it's been a fun summer all things considered. I've read some articles too about people you know we just don't take as much for granted and we find happiness in those small moments or the little joys that we have throughout the day have a have a greater impact on our happiness, which I think is a good thing too to to not take everything for granted all the time. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Any, any anybody else? Anything come to mind as uh, as your families have gone through this? Something that just maybe you did take for granted that that now is not. Yeah, you know, um, my family and I we went up to Duluth for a day, and uh, something we usually try and do every summer or fall, but uh, this one meant a little more just because yeah, it was finally a time where we could all get out. We had a blast. We did. We took the pooch along with us for the first big trip. Yeah. And uh, it was, um, we had a blast. We went up to the North Shore, all the way up to Two Harbors, walked along the shore. And then we uh, we did the, our two favorite things, which we, which is to stop at the Rustic Inn, which is just north of Betty's Pies and pick up pie. Yeah. They've got, I mean, Betty's Pies is good, but this Rustic Inn place has the best pies you ever oh, had. That name has notoriety all over the place. <laughs> Wait, you're telling me Betty's Pies is not the best pie place no. up there? Keep going a little bit further and you'll rustic it and, and they've got some amazing pies. It's, it, so we pick up a, a pie from them and then we head down to Duluth and uh, pick up dinner and walk along the shore. We pick, go to Northwater Smokehouse and it's uh, they smoke all their meat, of course, and it's all sandwiches and it's they're, they're the best sandwiches you ever had in your life. And so we did a little picnic out there and stores were open on the, along the, the canal. So we did some of that and it was a blast. We just had a great time just getting outside, hanging out, doing, you know, seemingly some things back are normal and felt like normal. It was just, it just felt good. Man, that, that makes me, you know, <clears throat> feel like I've done nothing with my kids. I haven't taken them on a trip or anything. Now I, now I gotta feel like I gotta take our dog and everybody to Duluth, get some pie. I'm curious what, 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 uh, flavor? I mean, what kind of pie did you get? Oh, we got the, uh, we got the country apple. They got so many different kinds, but we, got, we wanted the apple just, and the apple is not too crunchy. They're done nice enough and soft enough and all the, and you know, it's, it's all made on lard, right? The, the pie crust, so it's all good stuff, right? <laughs> so it's, it's just That's fantastic. phenomenal. Did you feed your dog any of the pie or sandwiches? No, we did not feed the dog any pie or sandwiches. Um, the dog made his presence known in Duluth. Every person was coming up to me asking me to pet my dog. And it was embarrassing. My kids were embarrassed. Uh, these, I mean, these grown men were literally walking up to this dog asking me to pet this dog. I was just like, you got to be kidding me. We're walking around town. They're like, Argo, hey, it's Argo. <laughs> the same people that we met, the dog is, is out of control. Market that thing. That's, that's some dollar bills waiting to come in. I mean, come on. I tell you, I saw the dollar signs in my in my eyes when I was when I was sitting outside that. Rustic in Argo friends. pies. I mean, you can't you can't beat this. It is just phenomenal. Yeah. Unbelievable. Well, what was the name of that sandwich place, Don? North Waters Smokehouse. Okay. And, and I have a, I have a general question. I'm guessing most of us are in and around Minnesota and people who might be tuning in might be as well, but I'm considering going up that way to Duluth at some point with my family yet this fall. We did that last fall, but it was super busy. Everyone in Minnesota was going up to see the leaves when we went up, but I'm also thinking about uh, Brainerd toward Bemidji going up that way. Is there, can, can any of you tell me, is there a preferred spot between those two in the fall? Boy, you can't go wrong with Duluth. You, you, you can even go further up and go up to Lutzen. Um, they got a nice resort up there 
where the ski resort is, but it's all open year round and they can amazing hiking trails and things like that are up there too. Lutzen is, is fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. Six in the mix, plan your vacation destination. I'm inspired to, to take my family on a trip, probably not to Minnesota. It's a little bit of a haul. Yeah, it's interesting as we think about, you know, what's happened, you know, we had like four trips that were canceled, two to Minnesota, one in March and then one in August. We had one to Kentucky get canceled. Then we had a recent one to New York, just some smaller things. So we, we've not gone necessarily anywhere either. Uh, so definitely, I think probably inspires me to get up to see Niagara. Niagara Falls is only about two, two and a half hours away. So uh, we'll do that. But the one thing that the girls did uh, recently, so we didn't go to New York, but one of the activities we plan on doing there, the, the girls were going to, along with their cousins, make tie-dyed shirts. So that's uh, that was a cool activity that the girls really enjoyed last weekend. If you guys are looking for something, the girls had uh, quite a lot of fun with that. And then just the activity, we just did it today, but uh, just the, the weekly Zoom calls with my folks and my brother and his family. It's a great new activity. Ethan, do you have anything uh, to uh, jump in here and add? Yeah, we've we've done a few things this summer. Our boys are a little bit younger. Um, as I've mentioned before, they're almost four and six, and so they have lots of energy. But one of the things that we've had to try and do is just create some structure for them, um, especially our oldest really thrives with structure. Hmm. Not having school, not being away, not being able to go to school every day um, for months and months during the spring. And then uh, this summer, that was just a real challenge for him. And so we tried to create some structure with planning and giving him details ahead of time. So we even bought um, a handful of new games and we just decided, hey, four or five nights a week, we're going to have family game night for half an hour after dinner uh, before bedtime. Um, and so that that really became a fun tradition to you know do dishes, sit down, play some games. Our boys really have enjoyed that and love that. And that's kind of helped us just have some good quality time connecting together. Uh, and then the other thing that we were able to do this summer, uh, speaking of travel, was we live in North Carolina. And so the, the quarantine level lifted just in time for us to be able to take a, a planned trip to the beach that we had planned with Michelle's family, uh, my wife's family. And so we were able to spend six days at the beach in early June and the, the weather was just great. And so we, we were able to do a lot of fun things. We played mini golf a couple times, which my sons loved. Um, just spent some good time at the beach. Got to have fresh donuts. If you ever go to the Outer Banks in North Carolina, you've got to get duck donuts. Highly recommended uh, for some unusual flavor combination profiles. Um, mm, so that was, love that was me great, some donuts. Hey. They're, they're tough to beat. Um, so we did that. And then in July, we were actually able to, we made the decision to fly to Montana and spend a little bit of time with my family there for our kind of an annual summer family reunion. So it was a little bit strange flying uh, with COVID. Um, and we debated for a couple months whether to actually follow through and take the trip. The boys did well. We had masks and lots of hand sanitizer. And Was the plane like pretty spaced out? I mean, did they block things off or was it just packed as normal? Uh, my understanding is most of the airlines were separating flights or separating seats for the first couple months. Sometime in early to mid-June, the airlines started this domino effect. And I can't remember who went first, but one of the airlines said they weren't going to separate seats anymore and have empty seats between people. And so then in short order, all the airlines followed suit within a couple weeks. So our flights, three of our four flights were packed, almost almost full. Uh, we had one that was probably 75% full. So they, they were all quite full. But the airline, the airlines and the airports, I think, did a 
good job. It was strange being in the airports because I would say the couple airports that we flew through were 75% less busy than what I would normally expect when I go home. Just a lot fewer flights. The flights were full, but there were a lot fewer flights. But those two trips, along with just some rhythms of family walks and family games and stuff, has has really helped us, I think, grow closer together and just try and um, yeah give the boys some great memories in the midst of something that they're young enough that they don't really understand very much of what's going on, but it still impacts them on a daily basis. Going back to the board game front, have you uh, taught your kids how to play Risk yet? <laughs> so we have not oh. taught them how to play Risk yet. Uh, but oh, really? <laughs> we do, well, one of the games we bought was Ticket to Ride. Oh, that's a good one. And so my, my six-year-old beats us regularly at Ticket to Ride. My six-year-old also loves playing games, and so he knows how to play chess. And so he and I play chess probably weekly, and he's still learning. He hasn't quite beaten the old man yet, but if he wants a will. quick win, just uh, have him play me. Four moves and done. I mean, I yeah, think I, yeah. I played I, I played Matt one time, and he did the you know four move thing and got yeah. me, and I'm like, that's it. <laughs> Call it a career. We're done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, even, I need I need yours and your son's chess.com handle. Yeah. I bring up the risk board game just because I remember uh, a time back in the day when our friendships almost, <laughs> almost ended because of risk. <laughs> I, I don't doubt that. If it wasn't if it wasn't risk, it was multiple video games, usually involving Madden or RBI baseball. But. Ethan, do you not remember this? I, I, I remember don't, this. not specifically. You don't remember this? Oh, my word. I, Don, you know, Don I, who, who was involved? I, I, was it you and Ethan? No, we were all at, at, uh, we were at, at my house for in Ohio. And you guys yeah. don't remember this. I don't risk. Play at risk. And yeah, Ethan apparently left out some important rules that didn't it, it went to tell so, us. It went you know, Ethan's walking away with a W. Of course, of course. Hey, got hey, a shocker. It's all about the wins. I mean, well, I'm glad you've learned something right? from Ryan. I mean, That's know. fantastic. Can't, can't That's argue great. with that. Well, I, I was I was too busy thinking about passing defender receiver. I with the Cardinal football, that's the only one I had. That was great. Flat Cardinal football. That was that was wonderful. Well, I, I'm glad that I'm glad that you know, as as uh, fathers and dads, we've we've tried to do some things with our families. As we get back, kind of in the routine of things, I stumbled upon four things that experts tried to suggest to families to try and keep the conversations away from COVID and just on normalcy and normal things. And they they suggested the first, you know, get up, do a good breakfast, have a great breakfast, make it in the morning. I'm not necessarily a great breakfast maker and I'm not the one getting the kids up because usually I'm out of the house really early to maybe spend some time a day a week or two to try and make that a big deal. Uh, number two would be that you would focus during that time to talk about with your children or with your, your uh, spouse or whoever in the, is in the family, uh, what what good you're going to do, how are you going to serve somebody else? Take the focus off you, how are you going to serve somebody else? Number three, when, uh, you know, as Ethan was talking about, you come home, you have dinner, you throw the board game on during dinner to do a high-low, you know, what was the high of your day and then what was the low of your day? Give it another chance for conversation about those things. And then uh, the before bed activity, which Ethan sounds like you got a lock on with, uh, you know, a game, probably not risk to ruin the uh, ruin the family unit, but if it's competitive and it's fun, our game with a, with our family uh, is Rumma Cube. It's quiet and we all think and we're all just there on the floor, uh, just spread out all over the place. We play Rumma Cube. 
YouTube. It's uh, it's kind of a fun game that we've done before and uh, really kind of engages all our kids and we have a good time with that. So anyway, four suggestions there to wrap uh, wrap this one out. I'll toss it back for the trivia. Yeah, that's great. So activities and destinations, uh, good, uh, good topic. All right, gentlemen, it's time for six in the mix trivia. Yeah. <laughs> As always, your name is your buzzer. We start off with some Bible trivia. Bible trivia. Don, I'm not going to tell you which testament it's from either. <laughs> I'm in trouble already. <laughs> All right, question number one. How many days was Lazarus dead before Jesus Jeremy. came to visit? Three. It's my final answer. I'm sorry, that's not correct. Oh, Ethan. Ethan, go ahead. I think it's four. You are correct. That is right. Gonna check John 11. Great story. <laughs> Great story. I heard a I heard a protest from Jeremy. Should I mark that down? Ryan's looking for some company in the protest game. So yeah, check out John 11. Jesus, you know, purposely delayed his visit till Lazarus died. It says he was in the tomb for four days. So does anybody know why that's significant? Leave us on, Rabbi. Jewish Jewish culture believed this is not biblical, but Jewish culture believed that a person's spirit hung around for three days after they died. And so, and after the third day, if they were not brought back to life for some reason, they would go to their eternal destination. And so some theologians um, kind of surmise that that was partly what Jesus was anticipating with delaying to take into account that cultural norm or understanding yeah, or belief. That's what I was thinking. Brilliant. <laughs> that's deep theological insight from Ethan. That's fantastic, right? So trivia turns into teaching. It's, uh, I love it. I love it. All right, Ethan, you're up. Uh, you're up one, at least for today. Uh, now we move into the music trivia. Music trivia. Are you guys ready? Name is your buzzer. And here... We go. Yeah, it's gonna come. 
This, and this is music from everywhere, guys. This is eclectic. This is uh, absolutely. Right, you got to study absolutely. your tenure See, I gotta be next prepared. week. I mean, you got to make sure you're up on that. Listen to it all. <laughs> I'm definitely up on my end yet, but it's just really sad to see that even our trivia portion has gone postmodern. That's really disappointing. <laughs> on a positive note, I might have found an actual uh, tip or tactic to make it a level playing field. So thanks, Ryan, for in the mix trivia. Hey, actually, Ryan's got a uh, got a topic he's going to get us into, so I'm going to turn it over to him. Thanks, Matt. And again, another rousing rendition of trivia, uh, one of our <laughs> segments that I used to enjoy. But I, I wanted to I wanted to talk a little little politics today. One of the things I've been struggling with as we head into an election this year is I tell you, those of us who name the name of Christ, rightly so, we can we can be disappointed with our current president for for different things. And I've seen a a lot of people just say, you know, we, we can never vote for a guy like that. I, I, I understand the perspective. When he, when he was running in 2016, uh, the guy the guy drove me crazy. Uh, I'll be I'll be honest with you. And we we have seen as Christians a lot of solid conservative principles come out of him. I, I, I didn't expect that. And Christianity as a whole has embraced pro-life as a major driving force to being why they go out and vote the way they do. And typically, Republicans are more pro-life than Democrats. You tend to see a lot more Christian folks vote Republican because of that. But in, in this day and age, I'm, I'm wondering, maybe some of you all are dealing with, I, I can't vote for the current president because of, of what what he's what he's like his personality drives me crazy what issue outside of pro-life do you typically go to in terms of how you make a decision with who you're going to vote for i'm curious to hear that because just going back to the pro-life issue for a second uh, genesis 9 6 talks about how important life is to god and he, he in that verse the lord talks that if you take a life your life is to be taken because of that and so we know that life is created in the image of god that is something i i'm sure all six of us hold near and dear to our our belief systems but what outside of that motivates you to vote when you head to the uh, to the polls the the I don't know what's going to happen this year they're talking about mail-in voting but I, I'm just curious what what gets you fired up um, when, when you hear hear and see news headlines these days outside of the life issue I don't know about you guys but I'm a big fan of whoever um, gives me uh, spam calls the most in a given uh, couple months and now spam text messages that really 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 makes me excited to vote for somebody <laughs> That resonates with you, huh, Ethan? Oh, man, I just love getting random phone calls and spam text messages inviting me to vote for their favorite candidate. You know, Ryan, as I think of your question, when you pose it like this, it's you're narrowing it down to what issues outside of the pro-life. I see it as issues come and go. They change. They're such moving targets. And from one election to the next, there may be some statics that are there, but it definitely changes. And, and I guess for me, I look 
look at bigger picture. I look at how a candidate or his party track record is to people of faith, even though it seems like everybody claims that they're, you know, man of faith, woman of faith, whatever. But, you know, what is that? So I, I try to look at, you know, the education world, our churches, what's going to happen to that institution. And then just let our freedoms in general, are there going to be freedoms taken away from me or given to me or, or kept? And as I narrow that down and, and give myself that perspective, usually a clear front runner comes. And it, so I try to stay off every single tiny little issue, because if you get bogged down with that, I, I mean, who doesn't have issues with it? <laughs> <laughs> both candidates on some level and then I guess left to say I'm, I'm just not going to vote and I don't want to put myself in that position. I want my voice to be heard. I want to be part of it and I think that's a, a biblical response. So I, I look at bigger picture things. That's just me. One of the issues for me that's very closely tied to the sanctity of life is the uh, sanctity of marriage. Uh, that's a big one for me in their their approach to the family. It's interesting, right? Because Trump has been such a polarizing fixture. John MacArthur was talking about politics. And I'm not sure if this was recent or a couple of years ago, but yeah. he said, he said, guys, politicians are not pastors. For us to think that they need to act like a pastor, talk like a pastor, it's not. It's where do they stand on the large issues of morality? What do, do they uphold what God upholds? So for me, again, sanctity of life obviously is huge, but right next to that and probably side by side with it is sanctity of marriage. That's good, Matt. So I guess the thing that really woke me up was after 9-11, like it woke us all up, the Middle East and the foreign policy that drives our nation. That really woke me up and got into a author who's, who writes Christian fiction. His name is Joel Rosenberg, and he's uh, from, he lives in Israel uh, right now. He has his dual citizenship in, in the United States and Israel. And he is an amazing author who predicted 9-11 happening. His publisher couldn't believe it. And were like, we, you know, they, they were even questioning whether they should even publish his book because it was, it had just happened the way he said it was going to happen in this book, in his fiction book. Of course, he wasn't prophesying anything by any means, but he has a great pulse on the epicenter, the, the Middle East. And my focus and what I'm interested in seeing in politicians and who's running for president is their foreign policy. Because just like the the Bible tells us in Genesis, God says he'll bless those who bless you. And he's talking about Israel and whoever curses you, I will, I will curse and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. I mean, Israel is playing a major role in our lives and in our kids' lives as they grow up. It's a major part of, of what's going to be foretold in the end times. And so I think the foreign policy is something I always look at. So Ryan, what, what about you? I mean, what are the things that you, you look for outside of pro-life issues? I try to think about Christian thought and what life in a nation that would not be a theocracy would be. So you have an argument that is Christian in nature and an argument that is, you might say, secular in nature. If we stick to the Christian argument and you think about the Romans 13 passage, it, it doesn't really talk a, a lot about what the government should, what, what God's form of government should be doing. But it, it does say governments are a terror to bad conduct. They should be taking care of people and they should be punishing those evildoers and rewarding those who are doing right. So those are some Romans 13 principles I try to think about. And so, I mean, I think that plays out this year pretty clearly. Who is uh, for, 
who is for mobs and who's against mobs. It seems like there is a bit more of a distinction there this year. But in terms of if, if you were to just go to the secular side of the argument, I would go back to the declaration and I would say, I want the candidate who is all about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And those three things, they're etched historically in our government. And if you can promote those things, I will give you my vote. But again, I'm, I'm pulled with my beliefs as a Christian strongly to, to life and some of those uh, institutions that Matt had alluded to as well with marriage as well. So anybody else have, have thoughts on that? Yeah, I like what a lot of you guys have said. You know, those things are important to me as well. I think talking about Don's topic of foreign policy, it's been interesting to see how polarizing President Trump has been to a lot of the political leaders around the planet. You know, so I wonder about that with the United States being such an influencer on the rest of the world. Obviously, the president and the leadership of our country is is they, they represent us. You know, so how do we feel about that representation? You know, there we're all imperfect people, obviously, but just to see the lack of integrity, character, professionalism, I mean, pick your adjective. We've seen that over and over again in the last four years, and, and that's tough to swallow it's hard it's it's hard for me to wrap my head around how out of a country of millions of people we've kind of ended up with these two um as our two options here i you know i it would be great i think it'd be fun sometime to get a few more people involved to have a three-party or four-party system that created a little more variety and gave us more options i also think it'd be interesting to go back to uh, the early days of the country where the they would have an election and the runner-up would be the vice president. I think that would be interesting to put uh, President Trump and, and Biden together in the White House for four years and see what came to be after that. That would be interesting. But it, this, is, this was a tough topic for me. I think, you know, like a lot of you have said, those Christian beliefs that we have are really important. But I think Matt makes a great point that if we're looking to our president or our political leaders to be our pastors or to be our Christian advisors, that's that's the wrong place to look. Chances are it's not going to happen in a fallen world that we're going to have that in political leadership. We do have some great Christian political leaders um, in different levels of government, but by and large, that, that shouldn't be where we're looking. And if we're looking to man in, or woman in general to be our inspiration, you know, that's not the right way to look at it either. So it's it's hard. It's a complicated thing. There's things to like and dislike about the candidates at every level of government. And, you know, you got to vote for the person and still be able to sleep at night is kind of where it comes out to me. So I don't know if that answered the question or if I just spoke in circles, but those are some of the things that I debate internally about. Kanye West 2020. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan, I have a, a follow-up to you, and, and my follow-up question would be, any, and to all of you, actually, really, any churches make plans at all or have people within their congregations, uh, your congregations that are represented here, uh, to commission people to and to push people into public offices and, you know, to take those roles, whether it be city councils, you know, uh, just, just kind of the uh, grassroots in your, in your towns or cities. Is that really on the radar? I'm a little bit pushed into the idea that maybe our churches should take a little bit more of an active role here because, you know, when it comes to some of the some of the scenarios that happen, I mean, when it comes to the vote of having somebody on a council or not or on office or not, I mean, we're talking like 300 to 500 votes. It's not always this huge, you know, amount. And I understand I'm in a small rural area and so it's not as big, but to have churches kind of put things out, are any of your churches, do, do they have any kind of platform to kind of encourage that? Or is it is it just kind of, you know, eh, business owner, well-known, good reputation, 
efficient. Yeah, I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run for an office. I, I, I don't know. Ryan, maybe you can speak to that as well. Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I would say at my church, we don't have anything like that. And, and Jeremy, I've noticed, I guess, via social media in this past year, you've done a little bit more in city government, getting more involved with that. So is that something your church is doing? Well, we, we pay attention to it. I mean, our ears are to the ground and we have some active members that go to city council meetings and things like that. And we have, I mean, we definitely support the candidates that be on the same ideals that, that we would have and we support them. But I can tell you that the leadership that is brewing out of, you know, just the pot in general just does not seem to have the same kind of track that I, I would appreciate and, and desire, even just for a balanced version of it. There's just, it's just not out there. And I, I you know, I'm increasingly concerned about that. I think that is something that we need to look at. And, and maybe there are churches need to kind of have and, and kind of you know, get together and say, okay, who among us would be qualified and have the leadership and, you know, the courage to be able to step out and do this. We, we need people, men and women to go out and step, step up to the plate. You know, it's going to be a, a bloodbath out there. I mean, it, it always is politically, I guess, but there's got to be, there's got to be people that are going to be willing to step up if our freedoms and the things that we want, marriage, uh, right to life, uh, all these different things that we've commented on, whether it's pro uh, Israel or not. I mean, it all trickles down to people standing up for these things at the grassroots level. If it doesn't happen at the grassroots, not going to happen at the high, high levels of DC, just not going to. So I guess maybe that's something that we need to pray about and, and just consider um, what we can do locally, but then, you know, what God would have us to do maybe in our lifetime or maybe pray for one of our children as they are developing into godly, godly young people that, that have a backbone and courage enough to be able to stand up and do these things. It's just something that's been on my heart. Just after I got married, I was, you know, trying to decide what I was going to do with my life. And, you know, it's like after student teaching, I was like, man, I'm not teaching. That's crazy. My wife and I were at a Michael W. Smith concert. He mentioned this book. It was called Roaring Lambs. This is back in 2000, right? Roaring Lambs. And it was a book written by a friend of his whose name is uh, Robert Brighter, who is a Emmy Award winning television producer. And also happens to be a Christian. This book is called Roaring Lambs, A Gentle Plan to Radically Change Your World. It's the idea of what if Christians were also, instead of just pastors, missionaries, what if they're producers? What if they're movie writers, movie directors? What if they're politicians? You know, things like that. And it was really eye-opening to me. And it was it's a great book, highly recommended. But uh, yeah, I think our Christian influence goes far beyond just our churches. It can go, you know, just like you said, Jeremy, you know, getting into, you know, city councils and things like that. And it can start there. And my second oldest daughter is uh, part of a leadership program within the youth group. And so she's got a project on Romans that she's actually going to share with the uh, with the, with the youth group here soon. But we were talking about justice in Romans. And it was interesting because I was trying to challenge her thinking, you know, as far as, you know, God's loving compassion versus his justice. And, and she was thinking God had to set aside or kind of look away from his justice to, to show his loving compassion. I said, no, actually the opposite. He upheld his justice high as he demonstrated loving compassion. And we talked about our, our role and interaction with the justice in the world, with everything that's going on. And it reminded me of God challenging his people that were in exile to 
to seek the peace of the city. And so I shared that with her. I said, I said, Layla, God wants us to seek justice and seek the peace of the city. So Jeremy, that is a, it is a great point. Good stuff. Election coming up soon. Definitely some, some things to consider. So I think, yeah, what do we so far have? We got two books. I think Don's called out two books. We've got Ethan sharing a theological uh, insight into the four days, three days versus four days with Lazarus. Yeah, like I said, you got vacation destinations. Like this is a potpourri of, of knowledge and insight for your life. So uh, speaking of insight for your life, we've got Ben with the feel good story of the week. I was hoping someone was going to list environmental concerns as one of the big <laughs> political drivers, but nobody did. So this kind of maybe then my feel good story of the week doesn't mesh quite as well with the previous topic. But anyway, I'm going to carry on with this story. So did you know that it's estimated one fourth of all plastic in the sea is made up of flip flops? Anybody? Wow. Flip flops are the most popular shoe on the planet. And there are some scientists in California that have developed a polyurethane foam out of algae oil. So the flip-flops will actually be biodegradable and so if a person goes to the beach or wherever they go their flip-flops get tossed into the ocean they will biodegrade in 16 weeks and won't be a pollutant into the to the ocean or into the atmosphere. Wouldn't that start when you were sweating? Yeah. I mean, you start sweating on your feet, bottom of your feet. I mean, that, that can't help the well, smell. Well, flip-flops are kind of a disposable shoe item anyway, aren't they? It was an interesting thing that I noted. I saw this story and thought, uh, you know, maybe we'll maybe we should all get a pair of algae flip flops and we'll start wearing those around in the winter. Ben, I got an economics question for you. I, I've got five daughters. I need a price comparison between Old Navy flip flops and your better than algae flip flops. Yeah, what's the price? Well, these have not quite gone to market yet, so I'll have to get back to you on a price. But is there a cost? Is there a price on saving? this planet for future generations, Matt. That's what I would come back and ask you. It's got nothing to do with holiness. It's got everything to do with ability to pay. <laughs> I love that. He's like my favorite Democrat. <laughs> You and AOC doing later. <laughs> Listen, my flip flop doesn't have a have a bottle opener on the bottom of it. I don't know if I can. <laughs> That should be like the new logo of the, the new green deal, like uh, or the green new deal, like an algae flip flop. Like you know, walk a walk a mile in the algae. Sh- yeah, shoes or something like that. So. Yeah, they might disintegrate by the time you get to the end of the mile. Well, like Schaefer said, if you got sweaty feet, man, they might biodegrade while they're on your feet. That'd be a lawsuit waiting to happen. <laughs> I stepped on a sharp piece of glass because my flip-flop dissolved two steps ago. So, no, good stuff. Thanks for, thanks for helping us love the earth. Um, all right, moving on. Uh, calling your shot. Ryan. Yeah, I just wanted to provide our next opportunity to to uh, recommend or call what we think is the best. But before we do that, I want to just do a quick update on what we've talked about already and see where things are standing. So the first the first time we did this, hey, wait, we, wait, 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 wait. Hey, Jer- Jeremy, do you have your secondary spreadsheet that's going to verify the veracity of the first spreadsheet? I'm in my office and I have it on my nightstand at home. So I'm, I'm going to write it down again and I'm going to make sure that we check this because emails are going out if it's not. I love, okay, I love that it's on his nightstand. <laughs> 
It's right there, man. We said high security. <laughs> it's gotta be. It's gotta be in a watch place. <laughs> even though you're, not, even though you're not there right now. <laughs> yeah. Hey, that's all right. I just want to go through what we've already discussed. So the first question was, will the Twins win their division? Across the board, uh, we had all yeses. And what I did, I thought this was going to be kind of interesting because several of us were right in the same general area. We, we went out further to say, this is how many wins we think they're going to have. And right now, they are 19 and 10. And somebody can check that to make sure I, I haven't lost my marbles with that. So I You're did right a, that. Thank you. So I, I pulled out a handy dandy uh, mathematical tri- trick and I set up a proportion. I said, well, what happens if this gets projected out to a 60 game season? And I did that and I came up with 39 wins. Matt, you said 40. Ben, you said 41. Jeremy, you said 38. Ryan said 39. No, no, no. Wait, wait, wait. Time, time out, time out. You said two things. If Rich Hill is the greatest pitcher of all time, then they'll win all 60 games. Well, he's been stellar. <laughs> he's stellar on that injured list. Rich over the hill. <laughs> I, I, I agree. I agree. Rich Hill has not lived up to expectations. He's been injured a lot, and uh, he had one nice outing, and I think he got roughed yep. up the other day. So that Maeda, on the other hand, has pitched a lot oh better. My. He's been he's been a pleasant addition to our squad. So, good. Uh, we, we then all asked later on, is Trump going to win? We had four no's and two yeses. Is everybody still uh, thumbs up on their, on their prediction at this point? Okay. I see a lot of people. Uh, Don, are you wavering a little bit? I'm good. You're good. Okay. And then we asked, will the NFL have a full season? And we had, again, a bit of a mix with that. Two yeses and three noes uh, for that prediction. And so how are we feeling with that? Anybody have a change of heart? I think I missed that vote. So I would, if I can add now, I'd say no, I don't think they're going to get through a full season. And, okay. clarif- and I'll clarify that by saying, I think just like Major League Baseball, some teams are going to have some outbreaks and they will have to cancel games and they won't be made up. And so I would qualify that as not a full season. Fair enough. And on top of the the outbreaks that they might have, there are going to be a rash amount of injuries that are going to happen with no, with no preseason. The first month of football is just going to look awful. Yeah. We'll see what happens. I hope, I hope we can get a season in for some normalcy. Last time around, we all shared our favorite hymns. It it was going to be interesting to see if any of us had the same hymns as the same hymn as another one of us. And that didn't turn out to be the case though. I was very close to picking Ben's Ben's hymn as well, Wonderful Grace of Jesus. So that takes us to uh, today's Calling Your Shot. So we've already marked our favorite Christian hymn, uh, older hymn, and now I'm curious to see, and I'm sorry if, if, the, if some of you were going to select the Firehouse lead singer for this option, but uh, I've tried to qualify this as a Christian artist, uh, but I'm sure you'll come up with a way to make um, Billy Joel a Christian artist or Elton John or Alanis Morissette. I'm sure they're all game for our contest tonight, so feel free. Way to take uh, a stand, Stephen. Very <laughs> appreciative of you. Even heaven's looking down at you. I, I am. Wait, I'm going to I'm gonna fight postmodernism as much as I can. Thank you. Batting first, we've got Matt. Matt, can you identify a Christian artist that is at the top of your list? Yeah, so it was uh, Stephen Curtis Chapman. And I can't, I, I was kind of racking my brain. How did I start? You know, was it a friend that, that turned me on it? I think I might have heard, like, the live adventure and that really kind of got me into it or the great adventure that song 
one, I think was kind of like a hook. And I just really identified with his songwriting, his vulnerability. And I've kind of, he's been my favorite solo artist to this day. It's interesting. The first Christian CD that I bought, my dad and I went up on a Saturday to Sam Goody in Columbia Heights, you know, back when they had music stores with like, you know, CDs and such. And you could kind of, you could listen to the music. And it was interesting because I'm, you know, I come from, you know, pretty conservative music and so obviously this is a little bit, little bit edgy but I like it um, my dad had gotten it was saved out of you know he grew up not a Christian and so you know, he listened to all the you know the 70s and 80s bands so when he heard Stephen Curtis Chapman he thought of some of the secular music and the things that he did and so it was a real struggle for him and I look back on that as like we're both looking at it from different angles and I remember having a huge wrestle like we were debating in Sam Goody like I want to buy this CD he's like I just I don't like where this is going and ultimately, he allowed me to to listen to it with some provisions of you know making sure that I wouldn't buy any CDs you know you know behind his back. But it was just it was interesting conversation. And then uh, basically, I think I've have I've had most of his CDs since. And uh, yeah, he's just a fantastic songwriter. I love him. I'm wondering if we'll see that name again. All right, uh, Ben, you're up next. Yeah, I was right there with you, Matt. So I'm going to have to find oh. go to go to further down the list here. But I just think it's interesting you, know, you talk about the conversation between you and your dad you know how powerful music is when i mean that's kind of what it comes down to music can it can take you someplace it can change your mood it can do i mean music is a very powerful tool and being aware of that and thinking that through with the type of music you choose to listen to i think you know i think that's a really powerful and a thing something that we all need to pay attention to just because a song maybe catches our ear and we like listen to it maybe or maybe not it's it's the right kind of music for us to spend a lot of time with but so in that vein then i'm going to select crowder as one as number two on my list uh, um, uh, Jameson? David Crowder. Oh, oh, not Jameson Crowder of no. the New York Jets. Okay. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> David Crowder. Is actually long, a little bit longer hair and a bigger beard. Got it. A little bit more, <laughs> yeah. little bit more Christian. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Thank Christian you. SC squared. Yep. <laughs> well, I was thinking in the Jets Crowder, but. Oh, gotcha. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just, my, my oldest son and I actually, we like listening to Crowder a lot. We've gone and seen him in concert a couple times and he um you know he i i, I appreciate I, I like his music it's and it's a fun thing i can enjoy together with my son listen to some of those tunes and uh he he puts on a lot of energy in his shows there it's a it's a fun concert and brings people of all different walks of life together to listen to his music i like i like what he's got going on okay i'll write crowder in for ben then don how about you i'm gonna go with uh toby mac man i love that guy's music He's got ever since DC Talk, and my kids love his music. And we actually got to go see him like a week before the pandemic broke out. So we were able to go see him in concert. We've seen him in concert a couple times. He's always enjoyable, always brings lots of energy, always is a great message, and brings it every every performance. So it's it's got to be Toby Mac for me. Okay, got it, Jeremy. Yeah, so my, mine is a little bit you know back in the day a little bit, even though um, he still sings. But I just have an affinity for Steve Green. I love I love his theology and his singing. There's never a time where I've ever heard a song of his and just had to turn it off because I can't stand it. And uh, I just listened to I watched the video of, of one of his live performances to He Holds the Keys, and uh, I just you know 
I was ready to stand up and go to heaven. I mean, it was just like, yeah, I mean, thank you, Lord, for him. His staunch belief in God and where he hasn't you know, failed in that and he has not wavered in that. Uh, so Steve Green, it is for me. That's, that's a good one. He actually came to the church where I attended in Kansas City several years ago during our missions conference. It was really nice having him in, in the morning service. And I think he did a Sunday night concert. Uh, the downside for me was we had a really fussy baby at that point in time named Olivia. And so the, I missed the second half of his concert because I was out in the back foyer and Aaron, my wife, was was able to be a background singer at that concert that night. So that, that was that was good. Have you heard his, his rendition of Creation Sings, Jeremy? Oh, yeah. Our school, ha- our school hosted a concert uh, with him, too. He and his, his brother came. If you've never heard his brother sing, his brother's got some pipes, too. Interesting story about linking Steve Green to Stephen Curtis Chapman. And it, it, it made me have a, even more respect for Steve Green. So he was kind of like the, the golden child, the poster boy for Christian right. music. And when things changed, kind of when Stephen Curtis Chapman and Michael W. Smith started to rise up and they kind of took away a lot of his stuff. And, and he stayed, he was a bit, a bit more traditional and such. But he kind of shared that was a tough time for him. But he he recognized that's what it is. He stayed true to who he was and you know kind of followed the path that God had for him. But he, he, he said he wrestled with that quite a bit. And I just, I remember that interview and I just gained a lot of respect for him. You know, he wasn't you know ashamed of it. Or, or bitter or he didn't turn away. He he embraced it and trusted God in it. Uh, it was just a really cool story. Quick trivia question before we get Ethan's answer here. What what group besides the Gaither vocal band did uh, Steve Green sing in before launching a solo career? Firehouse. <laughs> you, you, you all need to YouTube it sometime. It's really interesting. If you, if you can picture Steve Green, but before he was, as we picture him, he was actually part of Whiteheart. Oh. Oh wow! Yeah, check. Yeah, I encourage you. You'll be like, oh yeah, okay. I, I hear I hear that pure voice in there, but the the band and everything it, it doesn't doesn't jive with the, the Steve Green we know. <laughs> Ethan, who, who you got? Well, I as you guys know, I am not nearly as much of an audiophile as uh, you guys are in terms of uh, music appreciation. I will share. I think the solo artist that I have appreciated the most probably in the last ten years is a guy that probably none of you guys have ever heard of. Um, his name is Matt Papa. He was a worship pastor here in North Carolina for a number of years at my wife's church before we met and then um, has gone out on a, and, and has a career now. Uh, as a solo artist. And so I really appreciate him for a number of reasons, primary of which as he writes his own music, uh, it's invariably theologically dense. Uh, It's grounded in the theology of who God is, how we see him and what he says, what he reveals to us about who he is. It very much reflects, it causes the vast majority of his music causes my heart to look up uh, in amazement and worship um, at who God is and what he's done on our behalf. One song that I would recommend the most, if you've never heard of it, is he wrote a song called Jesus in My Place. That is one of my boys' favorite songs, which our, our youngest, um, Charlie, loves to sing it. He walks around the house singing it all the time. But but he's been someone that has been one of my, become one of my favorite solo musicians. What's his first name again? Matt, you said? Yeah, I, Matt, Papa, P-A-P-A. I think it was around 2010 I, I became aware of him. Yeah. He's not in any relation to uh, the notorious B.I.G., is he? I don't believe so. I like it when they call me Big Papa. I just I'm pretty sure he's not. He, he does have he does have one of the biggest orange beards you're ever you're ever gonna see. So right, right. <laughs> Leave it to the captain. Eves goes deep. Don just brings it in. Here's what's real. <laughs> 
That's a good response. I, I wasn't expecting that, but yeah, I, I, I understand your answer there, Ethan. So I'll, I'll pull up the rear here and I will share my favorite. And uh, I, I thought maybe there was a chance Matt might have the same one, but it, it turned out he does not. So mine is Larnell Harris. Yeah. So, um, second. I think this, this guy's in the same vein as Steve Green in terms of their, their track, what they, what they focused on. Matt and I have been to one or two of his concerts together up in the Twin Cities. And uh, he's just, he's a blessing his his voice is a gift and uh boy you see the joy of the lord when he sings and he, he's just an artist when he does sing i love i love listening to larnell he's he's probably over 70 years old now you know makes me wonder how long how long he'll be around at this point but we'll uh, make the most out of him while we have him here so larnell harris is my answer and he and steve green have they've collaborated on that song lord teach me to love so yep. that's that's what they have. they've redone it recently because of the race, race issues so okay well great thanks thanks guys got got your answers down we did not have a consensus though we had a couple of close ones with uh, matt and ben and then with matt and ryan so good stuff all right it's been a full podcast and we're going to close with uh fix your eyes turn it over to don romans 12 one and two. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Man, I can't tell you how many times I've heard those verses before, whether it be in school or church growing up and even as an adult a year or two ago these two verses hit me like a ton of bricks after reading it and talking it over with a good friend of mine i was i can't imagine or help but think what my reaction was after it dawned on me and the light bulb went off and in the words of my one of my favorite bass singers george yance it must have looked like i'd been slapped across the face with a dead (laughs) rabbit it's that word but let god transform you it made me sit back and ponder paul's words we are not in charge of change God is. Growing up in conservative circles like we all have, it's it's pretty easy and honestly it still is to get into that please all by your words and actions mentality. And if we say and do the right things, people will look at us with spiritual respect and we'll be able to take on a status of someone who people look up to. And we get trapped into thinking, I can make myself better or get over certain struggles that we struggle with every day if I just do this or that. But Paul says that is just not the case. He says, let God transform you. And the word transform is derived from the Greek word metamorpho. The meta implies change afterward or what results after the activity. And morpho is the root of the English term metamorphosis, which means to be transformed or transfigured. And yeah, that just happened. But I can't tell you what a relief that is, especially for someone that struggles with anxiety, that God will do the changing. I just have to let it happen. How do I let it happen? Paul says it right there. He says to not copy the behavior and customs of this world. Often do we fall into the pitfalls of what this world has to offer, buying into media misinformation and all the hysteria going on, or allowing our jobs and all the unnecessary burdens that it throws into our way to distract us from our daily lives that can ultimately affect our relationships with our friends, family, and most importantly, God. You see, when we let God transform us, we are essentially letting God take control of our lives and the outcome. And well, for me, that's downright scary, right? I mean, that goes against our human nature to be 100 
100% vulnerable and allowed change. I mean, real change to happen. About four years ago, my youngest daughter and I took on a project. She saw a nine-year-old build a computer on YouTube and was like, I can do that. And so seeing an opportunity for a teachable moment, I'm like, okay, yeah, let's do it. And we researched the parts and watched hundreds of videos on how to build a PC. We learned about motherboards, CPUs, GPUs, PSUs, RAM, SSDs. I mean, we were totally geeking out and having a blast. And then it came to the time of actually building the thing and we had to spend, we just spent way too much money on it. And now this was the real test. We had to put it all together and turn it into what we hoped were a functioning computer. We did everything we were taught and it came time to push the power button. And we were so nervous and man, I mean, just to turn the power button on, you had to make sure it was connected to the motherboard correctly. And we were all freaking out just to touch the stupid thing to fear it would blow up and burn down the house. Well, she made me push the power button and being a good dad, I was like, all right, I'll take one for the demon. Let's go, let's do it. This. You could literally cut the tension in the dining room with a knife. When mom was taking a video with her phone, hoping to make $10,000 on America's Funniest Home Videos, it was, it was intense. I pushed the power button, the light on the button lit up. I was like, oh, that's a good sign. And all of a sudden I heard the whirring and, you know, we were all still alive. And then we watched the monitor. And it felt like an eternity, but we finally saw the boot screen appear and we were dancing around like we had just won the Nerd Bowl championship. <laughs> <laughs> so then the uh, next step was we, you know, we loaded up a pirated version of Windows because I've saved some money and I shouldn't say that, but next thing you know, we got our first computer built. Now, fast forward to last week, we just completed our third build and in preparation for distance learning. At least that's the excuse we told mom in order to let us build another PC. <laughs> but this thing is sweet, you know. But you see, looking at all those parts on the table when we were getting ready to build that thing, and when it was correctly assembled, it was going to result in this 3,600, 4,000 megahertz, 64-bit processing, 122 FPS gaming, I mean, distance learning machine. And it seemed highly unlikely this was going to happen. But I tell the story because the computer is like us, right? Sometimes you have to start putting the pieces together and the computer can't build itself or fix itself. It needs an operator. And when assembled, it's capable of doing just what it's been programmed to do. It's easy to get into the mindset that change starts with us. But Paul tells us that transformation starts and ends with God. When we are in his word daily, surrounding ourselves with Christ like friends and fellowshipping with the church, even during a pandemic, surrendering ourselves and all our inhibitions over to the one who saved us, that is when we can experience that type of transformation Paul wrote about in Romans 12 too. And as a result of this transformation, Paul says God will change the way we think and will learn to know God's will for us, which is of course what he promised. It's going to be good, pleasing, and perfect. And I know that for myself, that's such a relief. I just need to do some of the simple things and God will take care of the rest. Now, if it was that easy, of course, this would be a much different world. But just like the fake quartet of for him saying, we need to get back to the basics of life, those basics are told will result in transformation. So I'm thankful I serve a God who not only created us in his image, but will also transform us and use us for his purpose. And 2020 is half over. The next half of the year will surely be crazy and can't imagine what's going to happen in these next few months. So I challenge you, don't drift into that chaos and corruption of this world that will no doubt swallow you up in it. Rest in God's everlasting arms. Take time to read his word. Try to surround yourself with all that's pure, good, and right, because then God will transform us into one of his own, and that is a child of God. Amen. That will preach. Good word, Don. Good word. That'll wrap it up for episode seven, six in the mix. This was recorded on August 23rd, 2020. And I'm enjoying this, gentlemen.